our uh, values as a church is that we, um, we play well with others in that we don't believe we're the only church in town. There are a lot of great works of God happening all over our city. And we thank God for the other churches meeting right now who are proclaiming the Lord, who are serving our city. I happen to have a lot of friends from different denominations. Um, I come from the Baptist world myself. That's where I, that's where I met Jesus. I was 14 and went to a, uh, a smallish, at the time, Baptist church. And it was a joke I used to tell some of my friends. Uh, I always try to talk trash that my denomination, my tradition, was the best of all the traditions. And one of my go-to arguments, I always say, well, you know, John the Baptist was a Baptist. That was my big argument. Like That was like, checkmate, chump. Uh, then I went to, then I went to, I went to Moody, and I, I was talking my normal trash, and I'm like, you know, John the Baptist was a Baptist. And my buddy was a Nazarene. He goes, well, Jesus was, was a Nazarene. And I was like, oh, no, you got me. Uh, today we're going to be hanging out with John the Baptist a little bit in John chapter 1. Um, last week we were in Malachi, and we saw the Old Testament ended. And when the story of Israel ends in the Old Testament, it ends very unsatisfied. It ends without satisfaction. The, there's no climax. There's no win. Instead, when the story ends, everyone's waiting for something. So watching a movie, and the big battle's coming between like Rocky and Apollo Creed, and they're about to fight, and the movie ends. You're like, what a jip. I want to see the fight. But the, the story ends, and there's no fight. And everyone instead is waiting for this Messiah. And when Malachi, the last prophet of God, when it ends, Malachi says, listen, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, Elijah will come. One crying in the wilderness. He's saying basically before the Messiah comes, before Messiah gets here, there's going to be things that happen beforehand. There's going to be like some signs to tell you Messiah is on his way. Well, that guy who was promised, that forerunner, is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the guy who comes to, like, get everyone ready for Jesus. He is literally, he's the hype man for Christ, okay? That's who the Baptist is. He comes out, gets the crowd ready for Christ, the main act. And we find these words. John 1, 29. The next day, John the baptizer saw Jesus coming toward him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Baptist has a mission, a purpose, a reason to exist. His purpose is to point towards Messiah. And when Jesus finally shows up, John the Baptist is like, Everybody, behold, there's the guy. That's the one we've been waiting for. He is here. So here's the deal. I want to start by saying the following. My first point is very simple. Look at Jesus. John goes, Listen, everybody, look. Here comes Messiah. I want everyone who's here looking at me to look over there and look at Jesus. And I want to say to us this morning, the same way that John points to Christ, we need to look to Christ. Because here's the deal. It's uh, Christmas time. 
Um, we even have cool garland and lights here in the, in the house. I was driving north from Detroit uh, this week, and um, I realized something. Michigan Falls are incredible. Like when the, the leaves turn, it's awesome, right? It's incredible. And when the snow falls, incredible. But there's a part, but, well, some of you, guys, yeah, yeah, I think it's incredible. California, what do you know? Um, but, uh, but <laughs> um, so um, here's the reality. When the trees die and the grass dies and there's no snow, Michigan is gross, right? I was driving home, the sky was gray, the trees were dead, the grass was dead. Today, there's a nice cover of white. And it looks like a movie outside, and I love that. But here's what happens to us on Christmas time. Christmas time is, there's a lot of great things about Christmas. A lot of great things about Christmas that happen. Um, some of you guys do trees, some of you guys put lights in your house. We, some of you have presents, right? You get presents to your families. Some of us have, like, meals we only make at Christmas time. There's, like... My wife grew up at a Christmas tree farm. So her father, he harvested trees. And so every Christmas for her family, they would be out after Thanksgiving Day, they would start selling trees. They would have a horse-drawn carriage on their property. Big old, huge Clydesdale horses. Big, big guys, yeah? Pulling this, it'd pull you to the back of the property. You'd cut your own tree down. She grew up in a Christmas Hallmark movie. Being married to her, I've learned all the Christmas traditions. Like every Christmas morning with her family, they put on the same record every single year. It's yellow. I don't know what it's called. I just know what it looks like. And this lady sings, go on, ring them bells. That's all I know. That's all I know. It's, it's, it's not a great song. Um, but they listen, to it. they listen to it every year. And I know on Christmas, I know that we are going to not eat real food until dinner. They, like, well, it's not bad, but her family loves to snack for the first five hours. And I like snacking, but I snack in addition to a meal. <laughs> Snacks do not take the place of a meal. Um, but so, so we have Christmas traditions we all do, right? When I was a kid, when our traditions in my house, we had one a Christmas present on Christmas Eve. Anyone do that as a kid? That was the best. That was the best. And my mom would give us usually a smaller one, but you open it and you go to bed, and it was, it was wonderful. So we all these traditions we do for Christmas. I want to say to us, in the midst of all this stuff we do, family and presents and shopping and sledding, whatever you do for Christmas, you got to take time to remember what we're doing this thing for. You have to take time in this holiday season to look at Jesus. For a lot of people, Christmas, I mean, I was um, shopping. I can't say where because then my wife will know what I bought her. But I was shopping this week. Oh, with me and my daughter were out shopping for, the, for my wife and my boy. And uh, we're in line and people around us on the phone. And I'm very nosy. I listen to people's conversations. I, it's, it's real bad. It's real bad. I sometimes will stare at people and just listen to what they're saying. Uh, but people, one person in front of me was just going through who they had to buy for still. I got to buy for Uncle So-and-so and Cousin Joe and just going through. And I'm like, that's like 15 people. And the thing, they're not buying small things. They're buying like $20 things a piece. There's 14 times 20, 280 bucks. And people, and this person in front of me was stressed big time. But everything they had to buy for their family members still. And they're asking questions on the phone like, 
Do I got to buy for so-and-so? Oh, I better buy some for them. And I felt the st- I could feel the stress coming off of them. Listen, in the midst of the stress, in the midst of the traditions, in the midst of all the things we have to do, we have to make room to remember we're celebrating this season the birth of Jesus Christ. We have to bring into our homes some kind of traditions that reorient ourselves towards Jesus. Now, I used to hate Christmas. The Grinch married, what do you, what's, the, what's the anti-Grinch? The cheer monster, I don't know. Um, but I, 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 I disliked Christmas, and we get married, and it caused friction in our marriage. I didn't come to love Christmas until we lived in India for a Christmas. And in India, there was no fanfare for Christmas. It's a Hindu nation. They don't give a rip about Christmas over there. There's no trees. There's no Santa. There's no, there's no Black Friday sales. There's, there's no Christmas music at every gas station in the country. There's not, it's, it's literally just a Thursday. That's all Christmas is in India. And having all the extremities removed allowed me as a person to remember this is not about the snow or the trees or any other things. This is about Jesus. And it let me come to love this season again because Christmas is about Christ. I don't know what your plans are. I don't know if you're alone or you have family or going out of town. I don't know what you're doing. But whatever you do, you need to make time to look at Jesus. If Christmas for you gets eaten by holiday parties and gift giving and making pudding, you miss the point of this time for us. Behold the Lamb of God. Look at Jesus. And who is Jesus? John calls him the Lamb of God. This phrase to us sounds weird. To the Jews, it made perfect sense. See, they're in, John is outside Jerusalem preaching. John the baptizer is. And they're near this thing called the temple. And every Jewish young boy and woman, every Jewish man and woman knew, if I sin against the Lord, if I want to make things right, I go to the temple, I go to a priest, I bring an unblemished lamb. I can't bring the gimpy lamb with three legs. I can't bring, bring, I can't bring the blind lamb. i got to bring a lamb that is strong and meaty and good to eat. I've got to bring a good lamb. I've been to the priest and say, listen, I've sinned against God. Please take this lamb. And they would kill this lamb on an altar. And that lamb would die for the sins of the giver. That lamb died so the sinner didn't. And when John sees Christ, he goes, everybody, listen. There is God's precious, unblemished lamb. The one who will die so everyone may live. Look to that Jesus, the one who dies, and he says, who takes away the sins of the world. Look to Jesus, who dies that we may live, and look to Jesus, who dies that we may be forgiven for what we have done. Look to Jesus. Now, as you read John the the Baptist's life, you'll see something very, very apparent very quickly. He says this in verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. The guy coming, the Messiah coming, he is better than me. If you read John's life, he's always telling everybody, I am not the Christ. 
They ask him, are you the Messiah? I'm not the Messiah, man. I'm just here to point to Messiah. When John writes this letter, in John chapter 1, verses 6, says this, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, the baptizer. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Apostle John says, John the baptizer is not the light. John says to himself, I'm not the guy. And John is very attractive. John the baptizer is a prophet. This guy lives in the woods, wears dirty clothes every day, just wears like, he's a mountain man, eats food, in the, in, eats food out in the woods that he, he lived on with wild locusts and honey. The, and the guy, when he preached, he's always yelling at people, calling people out for their sin. He must have been entertaining beyond belief to watch this guy throw down. And he got a big crowd around him. And he told that big old crowd, listen, big crowd, I'm not the guy. So we've said, look at Jesus. We also want to tell you this, don't look to the wrong person. Don't look at the wrong person. John says very clearly here, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Not me, him. And here's the problem. Here's the danger for us. We want to look at somebody else. That's the problem. We as people, we love having heroes. We love exalting heroes. There's a story in uh, the Old Testament where Moses goes to the mountain, talk to God, and Moses comes back down. And the people tell Moses, Moses, you talk, you talk to God, you tell us what he says, we do not want to be near that power. You go take the pictures, you go write the blogs, bring them back for us, and we'll live vicariously through you. I am too afraid to get near that hot white light. And we're like that as people. Many of us would rather follow a gifted preacher or pastor than talk to God ourselves. Many of us desire to grab someone, exalt them, and say, this is my mediator. This person tells me everything I need to know about God. I will follow them. I will love them. And we believe in them. We exalt them in our hearts. And inevitably, what's going to happen? They're going to fail us. No one's meant to carry that level of worship. But we love worshiping the messenger instead of the message. I did it when I was a young man, young, 20, I'm 18 years old. I've had a lot of mentors in my life, a lot of spiritual mentors. And I didn't realize I had made one of my mentors my hero. Not just my hero, what he said to me, I took as God's word. You know what I'm saying? I put him on a pedestal so high, I could barely see him anymore. Before I knew it, I, was, I, took, I wasn't following Christ. I was following this dude. I loved this dude. I believed in this dude. I trusted this dude. And I was wrong. I put myself on a very dangerous path. Because what happens when the person I put my faith in falls down? My faith gets shaken, right? 
The person I exalt fails me, lets me down. I think God let me down. Because I, instead of seeing this messenger as a helper sent to point me to the Lord, I make them my Lord. That's in every one of us. There's a reason, as a pastor, I try. When I tell stories from this lectern, I try to tell stories where I'm the bad guy. No lie. I've told horrible stories from up here. People have, like, oh, what, they've, they've, uh, they've gasped at my evilness. <gasps> you did not do that. I did it. And I tell these stories for a reason. Because I, I want you to know I'm not the guy. I'm trying to point you to Jesus, not to myself. My hope is with, with any joke or any sermon I preach, I want to tell you with everything I have, please look to Jesus. Not at me. So if the first danger is we all want to worship someone, we all want to elevate the messenger, the second danger is some messengers want to be worshipped. Some leaders, some preachers, some pastors, they like being the king. They want the people to look to them. Every sermon they, every story they tell, they're the hero. They wear the cape acting like they're going to save somebody. No preacher can save anybody. Only Christ can save people. What happens when people who love worshiping messengers meet a messenger who loves to be worshipped? Bad things happen. Cult-like things happen. You have to be careful out there, guys. Listen, we love other churches. We're not here to bash anybody. I just did this massive research project for, for uh, school. I interview people. I did two this year, two massive research projects, and both of them, I, I saw some very interesting things. I interviewed a bunch of atheists in one project, those who had left their faith or never had faith. And I also interviewed people who are going online only and not attending in person anymore at churches. So I interviewed all these people and I have all this data to read. And one of the common threads I saw in these interviews among those who had left their faith and those who intentionally do not wish to be near other Christians physically, there's often stories of great hurt some church, some preacher, someone they trusted hurt them bad. And they're like, you know what? I ain't going back anywhere near that. I'll watch online. I don't want if to, if I don't go there, no one can hurt me. Fair? That really does happen. I have family down in Houston. And uh, there was a revival in my family. Started going to this, uh, one of my family started going to a church. They loved the preacher. He was funny. He was relevant. He was a good communicator. They bring their, you know, their siblings and the kids and their kids. And all of a sudden, this whole section of my family are all going to the same church. And there's a, this is, everyone's going to lunch afterwards. It's a great season, right? And um, it happens sometimes where you start loving the preacher man, he's the best. 
And this preacher man goes in the office one day. It's a big old church. Church grew hugely, right? He walks in the office one day, puts his keys down, and tells the other pastors, listen, everybody, um, I met someone else. I met another woman. I'm abandoning my wife and my children. I'm leaving the church. I don't hear none of your crap. I'm out. And he walks. He abandons his family. He abandons his kids. He leaves all those people, and he leaves my... I went down to visit my family, and I came afterwards after all this happened. And the hurt in my beloved family was unreal. And some of them were like, you know what? I don't want to go back to a church. I don't want to trust someone like that ever again and have them knife me when I believe in them. Now listen. Be careful how I say this. I think the word does say that we are allowed to trust our shepherds. We're supposed to. I should be a trustworthy guy, not a piece of crap. I should be, okay? Um, the Bible says that the qualifications for a pastor is not the giftedness of the speaker. The qualifications to be a minister is their heart and their family. It says if, you, if, this guy, if, that, if that minister can't, provide, can't love their family, can't lead their family, how can they lead God's church? We should be able to trust our minister. We can't worship them. Listen, if you like some TV preacher, that's great. Don't worship them. And if they ask you to worship them, they ask you to give, they ask you to follow them or obey them, run away. A preacher who loves to be worshipped, a pastor who wants to be worshipped, is a dangerous thing. And they will eat you. And they'll spit the bones out when they're done. You be wary of that. You be careful. It's why I say, I always try to tell you guys, I don't own you. If God calls you somewhere else, I'm not going to guilt trip you. I'm not going to put on the waterworks. Don't you leave me. I'm not going to do that to you. I'm going to say, if God's leading you, let me bless you as you go. Because I want everyone to be where God wants them to be. And if God wants you here with us fighting on this part of the city, then let's fight together. Let's serve together. But I don't think I, I mean, I'm, am I sad when people do leave? I'm, I'm sad when people leave. I miss, I, I have friends, I miss my friends when they go. I'm not going to guilt trip nobody. I'm not going to say I own you because I don't own anybody. You belong to the Lord. Okay, just be careful not to look to the wrong person. There's a book I read recently called Go Set a Watchman. It's the sequel to To Kill a Mockingbird. Remember that in high school? We had to read that for high school, right? Come on, a scout, Atticus Finch, and uh, what's the, who's in it, Nesto uh, or Tony? The guy you always say, Boo Radley's in it. That's right. <laughs> Best name ever, Boo Radley. Uh, but uh, I don't know who that guy is. But anyways, so the Mockingbirds, it's a very famous story, right? Atticus Finch is one of the greatest heroes in literature ever, right? He's uh, in the South, post-slavery. He defends um, a black man accused of a white woman of a horrible crime. And he, the whole town turns their back on him, but Atticus Finch doesn't blink. I'm going to give this guy a fair trial. He proves the guy's innocent, and the town feels, still finds him guilty. Brutal story, incredible story. So the sequel happens years later. Scout comes home from college. She's all grown up. 
And in the book, a horrible thing happens. Atticus Finch, this great literary hero, scouts. That's her dad. That's her hero. My dad stood against our town for truth. What a man. Her father. The book is I'm, I'm, it's brutal. People hate it. I really liked it. In the book, Atticus Finch joins a group of concerned citizens in a group that would later form into the KKK. Atticus Finch, this great hero, falters and falls, and, sh- and Scout can't believe it. And one of the characters tells Scout at some point, because she, she comes undone, she falls apart, and her aunt tells her, your hero has fallen off their pedestal. Reading that book was good for me. What would you do if the person you admired the most completely failed you. Let me give it to you for free. They will. My kids still think I'm awesome. They're 11 and 10. I hear I got two more years before this ends, but I'm going to milk it. I'm going to be like, hey, bring me a Coke, child, because I'm awesome. Uh, But here's the reality. I'm going to fail these kids. I'm going to fail them. They're going to learn their dad is a human who makes mistakes. He works too much. He barks too quickly. Our parents fail us, okay? Our preachers fail us. Our best friends, they're not there when we need them. This happens, okay? And yet, is, is, it, is, it, is it hurt? Yeah, it hurts. But listen, loving people means being let down sometimes. And that's okay, because you, you let them down too. I'm just telling you, be careful not to put your hope in the wrong person. Look to Jesus, not to some TV preacher, not to me, not to your grandma. Look to Christ. If you look to Christ, even if your beloved fails, even if the world shakes, your foundation on Christ will be firm. John says, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. John said about Jesus, I am not worthy to tie his shoes. That's Jesus. And this church is only one superhero, and that's the Christ. There's a, this, Moravian, uh, this Moravian guy, I, I, I read his books, and he once said so vividly, he said, preach the gospel Die and be forgotten. That's a good goal to have in life. It's not not making our name great. We make Christ's name great. So how do we do that? John says this. There's 32. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. It remained on Jesus. It says in verse 34, And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John bears witness to Christ. John is always pointing to Jesus. How do we, like John, point people to Christ? Listen, one of our values as a church, we speak Jesus. 
It's in our blood, in our DNA. We want the name of Christ to be put out among those we know and love. How do we, as normal people in the normal world, how do I speak Jesus without being preachy or weird? That's hard, right? How do I speak Jesus without being preachy or weird? Because I don't want to be preachy, and I don't want to be weird. I don't. A couple things you can do to speak Jesus in your personal lives. One, pray for people and tell them you're praying for them. That's powerful. I mean, just someone tells you at work, man, I'm having a bad time. Hey, brother, I want you to know I'm going I'm to pray for you about that. And that's it. I'm not preaching. I'm not on a soapbox. I'm not going after them. I believe in God. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not, I'm not gonna say, I just say, I'm going to pray for you, which reveals I believe in something bigger than us. I texted a brother in Christ, a brother last night, texted a guy I know last night, just said to him, hey, hey but you know I'm praying for you. And the response I got was unreal. Just, a, just a, the gratitude. I'll, I will pray for people I know don't believe in Jesus. For me, that is bringing Christ front and center into their vision. Pray for people. One of my, one of my buddies, an old, old guy, we'll go out, we'll have lunch together sometimes, and we'll go to Applebee's or whatever. Waitress will come, and he'll say, how are you doing? And she'll go, oh, I'm doing da-da-da. And he'll always say, hey, listen, we're going to pray for me. We pray for you somehow. Bold. This old man is bold. Like, I, I don't do that. I'm just like, I'll have a Coke. That's all I say. But oftentimes, we'll just be like, you know, my kid or the bills. And she'll just share. And we'll pray for them. And it's, it's unreal, the testimony that brings to someone's life. Pray for people. I'll also say this to you intentionally choose to be in people's lives. Intentionally choose to be in people's lives. I don't know if you're an extrovert or an introvert. You know what I think the best thing in the world is? Going home with me, Angie, and the kids, watching a movie, and having snacks. That's all I need to be a happy person. Like I don't mind being alone. I don't mind being in my house, closing the curtains, like, leave me alone, world! I just want to sit and watch a movie with my family. But here's the reality. God calls us to go outside, to know our neighbors. <laughs> I'll pull in uh, the house after a long day. My neighbor's out, like, raking or shoveling, and I'm like, can I ignore him? Will he notice? Will it offend him? Because sometimes you just want to go inside. It's been a long day. But often I'll just be like, hey, neighbor, if they start talking... I got to go over, we got to talk for a while. It's cold. I'm wearing Crocs instead of real shoes, so my socks are wet, stinking. But we have to intentionally be inconvenienced for the gospel. Sometimes we allow, we allow like, you know what? I'm going to go to that holiday party because I'm bringing the light of Christ into that world when I go in there. I'm going to be around my family, my work. I'm going to be a person. Because I bring Jesus wherever I go. Intentionally choose to bring Jesus wherever you happen to be. And another easy way to speak Jesus, and this is a free one for you. Invite them to church. Now this is a thing you do if you know someone pretty well. Their trust has been built. If you've got a friend of yours who know, 
you know, you love, you're praying for. Maybe you just go, hey, listen. Christmas Eve is right around the corner. If you want to come with me and my family, we'd love to have you. There's a lady, she's not here today because she's got a huge family function. She's been in Flint for a few years now, and she said for years she worked, she shopped, and she was praying, Lord, let someone invite me to a church in the area. And no one ever did. She had friends. She, 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 she would like go out of her way to ask, do you go to a church somewhere? Like, like does someone invite me? Because I don't want to go alone. I want to know somebody. She said for years she waited for someone to invite her to church. That's crazy. There's statistics out there that say even among the nuns, the agnostics, 70% of agnostics say if a friend invited them to church with them, they'd go with them. Is that a crazy stat? 70% of agnostics said if someone invited me personally, I'd go. So how can you speak Jesus? Pray for people. Be in people's lives. And if you feel so bold, you invite them to something. And maybe not church. Maybe we're going to have a thing in January. I'm going to say this out loud. I'll make it so. I've been being bugged for a while to have like a euchre chess night here at the church. We're going to do one of those in January. For those of you who like euchre or chess or both. Um, we're going to have a, 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 listen, euchre, I play to win. I need a partner. Um, and she won't play with me no more. I don't know why. I don't know why she won't play with me anymore. Why'd you play the card? No, but uh, <laughs> I do love you, babe. Um, but uh, listen, if you want to invite someone to a, thing, a dumb thing like that, hey, we're playing chess at the church. Want to come? I like chess. I mean, we did something like something. Just there's ways to speak Jesus into people's lives. Baby steps. Baby steps. So from this text, we learn look at Jesus. It's Christmas. Look at Jesus. Don't look at the wrong person. It's very easy to do, and it's very dangerous. And lastly, speak Jesus. Point someone to the God you claim to love. With that said, let us pray together. Father in heaven, we love you very much. And uh, following you is hard. You are invisible. We cannot see you. There's days we call upon your name when we don't feel your presence. It's easier. It's easier to follow a person, a celebrity, a personality. It's easier, Lord. But it's not good for our souls. Help us to cling to you, our invisible God, to call your name, to speak to you, to look to you day after day after day. Let us put our hope, our faith, our trust in you and you alone that when this life shakes, you will not be crushed. We love you, Lord. This day is yours and this season is yours. In Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.